Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. I'm excited and glad to be here with you as we continue our study in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to work our way to the end of chapter 7 today. And as I studied this text, I was reminded that sometimes, um, well, teaching the Bible is rather difficult. Not because I don't know what it says, although there's plenty of times for that, but mainly because I know exactly what it says. And what Jesus says this week is rather challenging for, for any of us to work through. And it reminds me of the conversation I had with my surgeon before I, I went to surgery. He saw what was going on with my neck when I was referred to him. He says, listen, you're going to need surgery. And I said, nah. I said, I think it's getting better. I think it's going away. I'm just fine. We don't need to worry about this. He says, I, I don't think so. He said, we need to do another MRI, MRI to check. And I was like, you can do your MRI but it's going to be gone. He said, well, if it's gone, it's a miracle. I said, well, luckily for you and me, I believe in miracles. He said, me too. So I confidently went in, got my results and came back to him. And he said, it's actually gotten worse. You need surgery ASAP. And I don't know about you, but for me, I always like to look for ways to get out of something. I don't particularly care for people telling me what to do even if it's for my own benefit, evidently. I have this authority problem, and so as he said, you have to have surgery, I just watched him. I watched for hesitation. I watched for his eyes to gaze in the distance. I just watched something so I could pounce on that he seemed hesitant or unsure of himself. Or perhaps I was waiting for his punchline and him to say, I'm just playing, you're fine. That would have been great, super unprofessional, would have wrote a bad Google review about him afterwards, but I would have taken it in that moment. Just waiting, waiting for something else, but I sat there waiting, and there was nothing. Stern face said, you have to have surgery or you run a risk, a high risk of becoming paralyzed. I did not like that ultimatum. I had accepted, I had to deal with it. There was one of two choices laid out before me and I did not like those choices at all, but I had to make one of them. And interestingly and surprisingly, recently I found out there's actually comfort in having to make one of two choices. You see, this is the year of medical for the Hoffman family evidently and uh, Jessica is having a minor procedure and we went to the, the person to talk to about it and we were given like four choices. He said, here's what you got to do. And I waited for a pause or hesitation, and I got one. I said, well, what about this? And so then came the, the array of options. And to be fair, he, w- he was doing his best to lay out the options before us. But when you're presented with, well, you could do this or this or maybe even this. Or in fact, you could do nothing at all. When someone gives you four different ways to handle one thing, you sit there going, well, We got a second opinion, didn't we? 
because we didn't know. We were uncomfortable. There was just too many options. And sometimes there, there are more than options. I get that. Other times there's just one of two. And sometimes we get one of two options and someone lays out this ultimatum, if you will. It sounds harsh. It sounds narrow. It sounds very rigid in their thinking. It's like, man, this is unfair. This is uncalled for. Like, this is way too much. But I found in those situations, it provides extreme clarity. You see, the surgeon I saw was utterly clear. One of two options. Not because he was mean, not because he was rude, not because he wasn't raised in the South and doesn't know how to talk to people, right? I've gotten that plenty, don't worry. He wasn't mean, he wasn't rude. In fact, what he ultimately was concerned about was me. So he was rather clear, this is, this is it. I'm for you and you have one of two options. And I need you to keep that idea in mind that sometimes when there's an ultimatum given, it's not because someone's against you, not because they're harsh, not because they're being mean, but because they're actually for you and they're getting past the fog. They're bringing extreme clarity because what Jesus says today, he brings extreme clarity for you and me about the choices we face. And if you wanted, you can choose to hear Jesus as being narrow, unfair, harsh, or you can choose to hear someone who is utterly for you and bringing just the options you have in life. And the great thing about Jesus that we know that they didn't know at the time of him saying this, the thing we know is that Jesus ultimately went to the cross for us. So we get this idea of Jesus being for us. We're like, well, how, how, how for me are you really? He's like, all the way. All the way where I believe this so much, I'm gonna die for you to make this happen. You see, Jesus went to the cross and died a horrific, shameful, public death for you and for me. And because of that, he gives us these choices. And just like I had to make, do I have, wanna make this risk of impending, never walking in type of situation, or do I just want surgery? Jesus says the stakes here are a lot higher. And the bottom line, if you fall asleep, here's what it boils down to, that you and me, we have to make a choice. Are we with Jesus or are we against Jesus? There is no middle ground and a decision must be made. And there are eternal consequences, he says, in this decision. Let's review at the end. This is where we're at. Jesus comes to the close of the end of his sermon on the mountainside with his followers. Jesus has been teaching his disciples. He's been teaching the crowds. He's been teaching the skeptic. It's the Sermon on the Mount, the most popular teaching section of Jesus. Everybody's gathered around him. He is casting the kingdom vision. This is what it looks like to live under God. This is what I'm coming to do. Like everything Jesus lays out is how he acts, how he behaves, the things he does. And he says, this is what it looks like to live under the the rule of God. This, this is what I want my followers to look like. And now he makes a call at the end of his sermon and gives us four warnings about this choice. Let's start with the first one. He says this, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few will ever find it. He says there are two paths, but the point of this 
This section is the two gates we have a choice to enter. You see, this idea has been taught wrongly, and I need you to pay attention. It's been taught very wrong. The idea we think, many think when they see this, is like, all right, Jesus says there are two paths in life. There's this narrow path I got to take, and if I stay on the narrow path and I do all the right things, then I go through the narrow gate and I'm in heaven. Or I go down the broad, really open path and gives a lot of different room. Then I find an open gate and that leads to this idea of hell. But the idea that you and me have to stay on this narrow path to eventually hit this narrow gate, that's teaching works righteousness. That's teaching that me and you have to be good little boys and little girls and we got to do the exact perfect things all the time or we won't get into heaven. That, of course, is not what Jesus is teaching at all. The emphasis is on the gate. After the gate, there's roads. You have a choice, me or you, what gate are we gonna enter through? His focus is, are you going to go through the comfortable gate that has a very broad road? There's all sorts of things you're able to do in that. Ways to live, it seems comfy, it seems great, it seems nice, five lane highway. All the freedom in the world, but it's ultimately leading while it feels great to destruction. Or are you gonna go through that closed, small, tiny gate? that actually has a narrow road as well because this is limited to Jesus, his salvation and discipleship. And the imagery for this narrow gate, Jesus tells us up front, the imagery is of this tight road, this difficult, hard road. You see, when Jessica and I, we lived in the family, lived in the mountains, we decided in Virginia, we decided to go to the, one of the state parks. It was in Virginia, Kentucky. I don't remember which state it was in. But you were able to go to this point when you went on the top of it, you could see three states. Like we were in Virginia, but we could see Kentucky was here and Tennessee was here, whichever way you're looking. It was, my navigation is terrible. But anyways, you're sitting there and you could see like all three points at once. It was super nifty. And now generally, I am not prideful when it comes to directions because I get lost all the time. So generally, my pride's out the window when it comes to directions. But when we were telling our friends we were going this way, they were like, listen, do not listen to the GPS. We're like, what are you talking about? They're like, look, it's going to take you and tell you this is the shortest path there but do not take it. They're the mountain roads and it's very difficult to travel. And I said, huh, you're challenging my masculinity, are you? You don't think I can handle those roads? Watch this. Who do they think they are telling me I can't do that? So I did exactly what they said not to do. And it was horrific. When people in the mountains tell you not to go a certain way, you should not go a certain way. I learned that the hard way. The roads were so small. When we were driving on them, there was no guardrail. When you fell off the road, you died. There was no safety, no concern. I don't know how people, it wasn't a road, it was a path. I can't explain it to you. It seemed completely unsafe. Like two cars couldn't have went down. I don't know what would happen if another car came. But we were going up two mountains and it was just like this the whole way. Just turn, turn, turn. And I had a three to five month old, however old Tyler was in the back seat, couldn't hold his head up yet. So his head's just flopping. (laughs) Just flopping. And of course, what happens when a baby's head is just flopping? What do they do? Cry. So we're driving, I feel like we're gonna die. We got, he's screaming in the background. The other two kids are going, what's going on? And I'm like, this was just a terrible, terrible decision. But Jesus is letting us know up front that following him is actually like that small road. 
It's going to be challenging. It's going to be difficult. There, it, it's limited to him. Like following Jesus means it's just Jesus. Following Jesus means he's the Lord and he tells us what's right. He tells us what's wrong. In fact, following a Christian means people might say, hey, you're narrow-minded. You're closed-minded. Like you're very narrow in your thinking. And Jesus is like, yeah, well, I, I, I told you that. Like that's what you signed up for. That's what it means. Like, I am saying there is one God and I have come. Like, I am saying I am the only way. Jesus not only claims to speak truth, but he says he is the truth. The manifestation of truth, and you could think about that, it, it'll be mind-blowing. But he says there is just one. That's what it means to be a Christian. And while it's definitely easier on the way back, we took the highways, it was much more enjoyable, much nicer, didn't even take longer. Right, I thought it was, didn't take longer, but it seemed so great. But Jesus is like, yeah, that great road's actually leading you to hell. It's not as comfortable as you think. And so the question Jesus asks, we got these for these sections, is this. He says, will you enter through the narrow gate that leads into the kingdom of God and embark on a life of following me, or will you reject me for the popular road that leads to destruction? What gate are you entering? What gate are you going to go through? Then he says in verse 15, he says, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Next slide. He says, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, you can identify a tree by its fruit so you can identify people by their actions. And so Jesus says, on this narrow path, you're gonna have to watch out for false prophets. And I know prophets for us is this, we're like, what do you mean prophet? We don't even have prophets anymore. But back then, prophets not only um, foretold the future, like, hey, here's what's gonna, or foretold the future, like, here's what's gonna happen. They're so foretold the things of God, like, this is how you have to live. This is what God's doing. So they guided and directed people's lives. And so they're claiming to speak for God. God's like, Jesus is like, look, you gotta watch out. There's gonna be false people coming in, claiming to represent me. And for us, we have to be very careful who we allow to influence our lives and speak into our lives. We have to be careful about assuming that these influencers or these celebrities or these authors or these politicians and these or other Christian leaders are like for us and for Jesus. He says they're not harmless. They're vicious wolves. And he says, don't just listen to what they say. Watch their lives. Watch what they produce. Watch what they are doing. He says, just look at, look at their lives. Look at their character. And what I find really interesting, and since you know, God created everything, he understands all the animals, notice he doesn't point to the puffer fish. Because this is what we like to do. The puffer fish is extremely poisonous. It's considered a delicacy. The fish's liver, ovaries, and skin all contain poison that kills you, and there's no known antidote. And the way uh, they have to cut it and the way they have to slice it so you don't die when you eat it, they have to be licensed and specially tra trained. And so no, notice Jesus doesn't say, all right, here's what you do. You just take all the good parts from what somebody does, 
And then the poison, the toxin, that's not that big of a deal, just look past it. Isn't that what we do? Well, I, I know, I, don't worry about that. Let's just focus on this one point. No, Jesus like, look at the, the totality of their lives. What are they producing? What is their character? What are they doing? Like, look at all of that. You can tell by what they're doing. And so you just think, are they creating chaos, frustration, and aggravation? Or are they leading you and us to become more like Jesus? Because if he is Lord and King, that means he's the one in charge. And that's what we look for in our leaders, someone who's taking us to be more and more like Jesus. And now, does this mean that people are sinless and we are to demand per perfection from pastors and leaders? Well, of course not. But you can see their heart. You can see their true motivations. What are they really for? What are they really trying to do? And so we just have to stop pretending. Christians, I'm talking to Christians. If you're not a Christian, this isn't for you. But we just have to stop pretending that character and moral choices don't matter and can be ignored when Jesus says, watch for that. It matters. Because he wants to produce life change, and I cannot stress that enough. So his question is, will you find in me an inner source of transformation that will produce the good fruit of life, or will you follow the prophetic voices of this world that hype a promise of life but only take you into the fires of hell? The choice is ours. But he warns us, watch out. Now, this one's really bothersome. Verse 21. Not everyone who calls on me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. I can't tell you how many people, when they tell me about things Jesus says and who he is, I look at them and go, you must have never actually read the man. Because Jesus is tough. The picture he has here is one that we need to take very serious. Like Jesus isn't being mean. He's saying that your external works, the things you do, does not mean I'm with you. It means you do things. And he's saying, look, it, one thing for someone to say like, hey, look, look at all the time I've been at church. Look at all the money I've given. My grandma was at church, Jesus. I mean, come on. I went every Sunday because my grandma made me. I went to Wednesday night. Jesus, look at all the stuff I've done. Surely I'm with you. Like, I get it if you would say that. But these people are on a whole nother level. They're doing miracles, casting out demons. We'll talk about that later. Scott's going to preach that week. All right. But he has raised the bar. He's like, look at all these miracles. But remember back then, right, people could do all sorts of stuff. Like you had these magicians, you had sorcerers. Remember when Moses went to Pharaoh and he was doing these things to show he's from God, their magicians did stuff. So Jesus is like, look, you can't always trust what you see on the outside. He said, you, you can't always count on your external stuff. You see, Jesus never emphasizes the external. That's works righteousness. Like I've earned my way. I've done my stuff. Jesus is like, no, no, no. It's about the internal What's going on in your heart? You're gonna produce what I want you to produce when life changes happen inside of your life. And so the goal, Jesus says, not about the things you've done, but about, no, nope, go back. 
but about knowing Jesus. That's his last thing. He doesn't say you didn't do things. He said, I never knew you. Jesus wants a personal relationship with each one of us. And he wants to come and be with you. He wants you to know him and he wants you to know, he, he, wants, he already knows you, but wants you to know him and he wants this relationship with you. And when you encounter the grace of Jesus Christ, it changes absolutely everything in your life. And so Jesus' question is this, will you obey my father's will and come to me as your only Lord or will you chase after false manifestations of spirituality that result in eternal banishment? He's like, look, it's either me or whatever else. All those other choices, we're gonna lump them into one. Not true. Like Jesus, that's very narrow. He's like, I know I told you that already. Narrow gate, like I, that's what I said to begin with. It's narrow. Like this is, this is the way. He continues. One more warning. He says, anyone who listens to my teachings and follow is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rains comes in and torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it was built on a bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and does not obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against it, that house will collapse with a mighty crash. And so now he ends the sermon, that's where he ends, with this mighty crash. Continuing this whole idea of going through the narrow gate, while it sounds difficult, he lets us know it won't be easy. He says what you're actually doing, though it may not always feel like it, especially when you start out, you're building this solid foundation that will withstand all sorts of stuff. It will withstand the storms in life, like whatever it throws at you, you're building on a solid foundation, you'll be okay, not only in this life, but in final judgment, when our house is built on Jesus, it will stand because it's not on us, it's on Jesus. And some of you, you are really going through it right now. Some of you are facing some difficult and serious challenges. And I want to remind you that Jesus is with you. I want to remind you that though it may be challenging and extremely difficult, stay on the path of Jesus. Stay with him. He's already with you. Continue to follow him and build your life on him. It's because in these challenging times, I've been there too. When you're facing that, the answer we want is often the quickest way to have the pain stop. The quickest way to stop bleeding, the quickest way to stop hurting. We're just looking for something to give us relief. Like I'm terrible at suffering. How about you? Like when everybody else is, I'm like, you just need to suck it up. It'll be all right. When it's me, I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't handle it. I'm terrible at it. But the quickest way for the pain to re be relieved and not cause even more pain is by following Jesus. He'll be right there with you. He hasn't left you. He's not going to forsake you. He will not let you down. Things may not work the way you want, but it's in those difficulties we continue to trust and follow and he will come through. You will be amazed. I guarantee it. Others of you, You've created an absolute mess in your life because you've chosen to walk through that narrow gate of salvation and now you've decided you wanna rule your life. You wanna do things your way and you, you reject him. 
Perhaps you're just walking away from Jesus altogether. And, and I guess you can. Judas did it. So I guess that's your choice. Or perhaps you realize you find yourself in a test of faith. You've been playing religion your whole life. You've gotten pretty good at it. I mean, you know the things to say. You know where to stand. You know where to sit down. You know the prayers. I mean, perhaps you even can point to some things in your Bible. Maybe you've been circling through faith and you're like, man, I'm really good at religion. But now you're at this point where following Jesus is difficult. It's hard. It's more suffering than you think you can bear. And you're just like, I'm done. I'm walking away. Perhaps your faith wasn't as strong as it was. Perhaps you've just been playing a religious game and things have gone easy for you. Or perhaps, perhaps you're choosing to sin. Perhaps you're leaving the foundation of Jesus and trying to build your life on sand, thinking somehow it will be okay. But he warns us, if you build your life on anything else, it's going to come crashing down. And I, I urge you to please, Please just go to the beach this afternoon. Build you an amazing sandcastle about a foot away from the water. Because if you didn't know, there's always a storm right around the corner. Build you the most beautiful, amazing sandcastle you've ever seen before in your life. And then go back tomorrow and check on it. Because that's what you're doing. You're creating this life and you have this idea of what it's going to be like and how amazing it's going to be if I just ignore Jesus, if I just walk away like he's really holding me back. And his warning is it is not going to work out the way you think. You build your life on me, the solid foundation. I'll be with you. And so his question is this. Will you build your life on me as your solid rock? Or will you let the pleasant ease of your life cause you to be unprepared for the storms that will come in this life and that will ultimately wash you away into desolation of the afterlife? So the question is, what have you built your life on? And notice this next verse. This is very important for this whole thing as we bring it together. Notice what's important to the people around Jesus, things we wouldn't naturally pick up on. Matthew highlights for us. It's verse 28. He says this. He says, when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. You see, the religious leaders, they would point to God's word. They would point to the, well, they didn't have Bibles, they had scrolls. So they'd be pointing to the scrolls. They'd be like, these are the words of God. Like, this is the words recorded from the prophets who spoke for God or God speaking through the prophets, depending on what that looks like. And this is very much as a pastor, how we position ourselves. Like, I have no authority outside God's word. Like, what we're teaching is God's word. That's where the authority lies. I'm just Brian. Like the authority rests in this. That's what they would do. They point to the scripture. Like, this is what God says. But Jesus... He doesn't point to anything else. He points to himself. He has the authority. I have the right to say this. I don't need any other verification. There's no other. It's like, I'm telling you, this is how it is. He's standing on his own words. It's like, who does he think he is? Like, who, the audacity you have to come in here and just tell us like it is? Who do you think you are? And he's like, I know. Wrestle with that. Work through that. That's the question. And you see, they all knew Jesus was different. How he taught was even different. 
You see, nobody thought as his ministry goes on that he was just another teacher that had some really good sayings that you put up on Instagram and it's super sweet and cool. Like nobody thought that of Jesus. In fact, the whole idea that we're gonna see in a couple chapters, they start calling him a blasphemer, claiming to be God. You see, they knew Jesus was doing things outside the norm. He went against all the fundamental do's and don'ts for a teacher and he crossed that line and they ultimately crucify him and kill him because of the authority and the way he's teaching. They're like, this is way too much. Like you're claiming to be God, you can't do that around here. But he did. And it all comes down to this authority issue. We have to make a choice on what we believe and who we believe in. Do we trust Jesus with our eternity? Do we believe what he came to do was really enough for us? Do we really believe that Jesus meets those needs? Have we seen him come through in those things? Do we really believe his salvation will work? Do we believe in Jesus? And Jesus warns us, listen, there's a lot more at stake in what I came to do than you could possibly imagine. And the warnings, they are what they are. They're warnings. Just like I ignored the warnings on the road, Jesus is telling us, don't ignore this. This is serious. Eternity is in the balance. And he calls you and me to pay attention to what's right in front of us, the choice that we have. He's inviting us into a relationship with him. You see, Jesus doesn't want you just to do things. He wants you. He died for you so you could live. He invited you into a relationship with him, but you must enter this relationship through that narrow gate. You must give him your life. What does it cost to go in there? You invite him and he brings you through that gate. And my question is, are you tired of doing things on your own? Or are you wore out and tired because the way you're living, the way your relationship is, the way you're handling whatever that is in your life, are you tired and like, hey, this just is not working? Are you ready to come to him? Are those goals just not working out? Those careers aren't as satisfying. All that stuff you're chasing after, Jesus, like, look, look, you're looking for it. We all have that, that brokenness, that thing that feels missing. And Jesus is like, it's, it's me. And so many people have been in church their whole lives. They've checked the boxes. They've played the right stuff. But the test of faith is when things get very hard. Where do you actually turn? If it's not him, then you've missed it. And it won't satisfy. So he invites you, he invites me, and eternity is at stake. He says, just give me your life. Let me rule your life, and I will take care of the rest. He invites us into this mission for his purpose and his glory, and according to Jesus, there is no other way. He boils it down into one or two choices, and he invites you this morning into a relationship with him. And that's to believe and trust in him. For your salvation. He makes it clear there's no other way. And listen, nobody can make this choice for you. It doesn't matter how many times you went to Sunday school. It doesn't matter what you grew up in. It doesn't matter if your parents had you baptized. Nobody can do it for you. It's a personal choice that you've made to surrender your life to God. You have to make a choice. Are you with Jesus or are you against him? 
There is no middle ground. He doesn't leave that option open and there are eternal consequences at stake. And so my question for you, are you confident in your salvation this morning? uh, Paul says this, he says then, in Ephesians, he says then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. So the idea of Jesus coming and residing in your hearts isn't just a thing we tell children to simplify the gospel. It's this picture that Paul gives us about Jesus coming in and invading your life. And he says, welcome him, ask him, accept him as your Lord and Savior. My question is, have you asked him to come into your heart? That is, come into your person, your life, and dwell. Have you received the salvation from Jesus Christ? See, we believe, the call is to believe in his death that it was sufficient to save you. That that separation between you and God that you already feel that he has taken the gap, he has fixed that void. So we believe that he forgives us from our sins and then we believe that he took the place on the cross that we should have been on, that he died for us. Then we believe that he rose again and we believe in the resurrection because that shows us, that shows you and me that he really does have the power over eternity. Like if someone can predict their own death and resurrection and then pull it off, we just believe them. You died, we saw it, you rose, you said you were gonna do this, you know what? You must have it all under control. And so he proved it to show us like, listen, you can trust me. And so he offers salvation. He extends his grace. And he's just waiting for you to accept it. Believe. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, you know our hearts. All of us are reminded this morning of the seriousness of salvation, the seriousness of the choices we must make. Father, we know you've given us a choice as clearly points out, and we must choose that narrow gate. Father, we know you are the God who created all things. We know that you love us. And we know this salvation of building our life on Jesus is is trusting in the grace, is sufficient enough. So help us just rest in your grace this morning, Father. Father, I ask that those who've never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who may have been circling religion their whole life, I pray that you make it clear to them that they need to make that choice today. Father, I pray that they stop pointing to their family, they stop pointing to attendance, they stop pointing to all that other stuff, they just accept your conviction this morning. See, Father, we know that you extend us life. We know that you're extending that call to us today. And if you're here this morning, your journey, and, and you're, you feel that nudge, you feel it, your journey can start today with a simple prayer. You can say something like this, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe he rose from the grave and conquered death and his resurrection. Today I'm turning from a life of sin and I ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Please come into my heart, transform me and save me. If you prayed that prayer today, we wanna talk to you after the service. We'd love to connect with your next steps. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for those who've trusted in you this morning. In Jesus' name, will you stand as we continue to worship?